everybody, and welcome to Fresh Tech Fridays. I'm your host, Tom Gilsonen. Our guest today is my friend Jason Eck. Jason is currently the Executive Director of Marketing and Creative Operations for Lionsgate Stars. When I first met Jason, he was at his own creative services company, Ember, and has worked for numerous other prestigious firms, such as DirecTV, AT&T, as well as the advertising agency, Attic. Jason's a strategic focused marketing and creative operations leader. He's got over 20 years of experience managing and delivering world-class full scope marketing, creative and technology operations, as well as production solutions for agencies, creative studios, startup companies, and divisions within major enterprises. So very excited to reconnect with Jason after knowing him for so long and uh, looking forward to today's episode. So without any further ado, let's get into it. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Fresh Tech Fridays. I'm here with Jason Ett, Executive Director of Marketing and Creative Operations for STARS. Jason and I have known each other for quite some time. It's a lovely sunny day here in Southern California, and we're headed into a three-day weekend. So, Jason, I hope I've caught you at a good time. You caught me at a very good time. Excellent. Um, So, hey, uh, welcome to year three of uh, the pandemic. You know, hope you're you're having a nice time. Uh, There's some interesting stuff in the news these days about how hopefully it's getting worse before it gets better. Um, you and I have obviously known each other because I think we met each other right around the time we were both starting a small business back in the day. Um, so Jason is somebody that's known DZ Solutions since I'm pretty sure we had one employee at that time. I'm pretty sure that was me. I don't even know if I had one person working here. at the time. I think, I think you were the only employee when I met you. So yeah. that quickly changed. Very yeah. Quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely come a little ways since then. Um, so, Jason, tell me a little bit. I, I want to hear about what you're doing now, but tell me a little bit about your career trajectory. You know, how did you get started out in the business and um, how did you wind up um, where you are today? Sure. Um, I started off as a creative. I went to design school. I, I did that whole world and, you know, uh, definitely worked in the design agency environment, being a creative and an art director and a creative director, and then uh, jumped into being an entrepreneur. You know, I was like, wanted to kind of own my own business and, uh, you know, started building animation companies, design companies, things of that nature. Uh, And I think once you start jumping into a business, your perspective starts to shift and you start thinking about things a little differently because you look at how to kind of build and optimize, you know, your, your team and your environment. And I think that, you know, somewhere along the way, you know, you start developing project management skills, production management skills, and uh, it really shifted my perspective and started thinking about things operationally. And uh, that became kind of my strong North star and passion was looking at like everything from human to technology resources and how to kind of blend and work with the two and ultimately um, find better processes, find better frameworks and how to kind of leverage technology to kind of make all of that work. So, um, you know, I think, you know, four or five years ago, I really started uh, strongly kind of looking at that. And I was working a bit as a consultant and then jumped into AT&T as they were absorbing direct TV and, uh, you know, uh, took an operations position there. And then, you know, just in the last year, moved over to STARS uh, and have 
been focusing not just on creative operations, but kind of the whole world of marketing and uh, creative services. So, yeah. What, what was it like? Because, I mean, you obviously, like you said, you had, you know, your own business that was like whatever, you know, normal, small, medium size. Then you were on your own. What was it like going to a, at the time, I think AT&T was a Fortune 7 company. <laughs> I think um, it shifts your whole perspective. You know, it's, you know, when, when the buck stops with you and you're making decisions, you, you also tend to wear a lot of hats. There's a lot of things yeah. you're willing to do. Yeah. You know, right. I think, uh, when you come into a large corporation, you know, that you're, you, you end up shifting your mentality a bit because it becomes a collaboration. I mean, you're working with all of these teams and all of these people and it, it's how do you get them on board with your vision because there's, you know, it is a collaboration and while you all have maybe similar goals or you know, your, the way you may get there can be very different. And so you have to kind of embrace, you learn to have to embrace other people's ideas, which was you know, different, like whatever, yeah. you know, and you start to think about things about how you build relationships very differently. You know, I, I think that was a big learning experience for me um you know i but something i really have come to embrace and enjoy because it builds a different socio sociological mentality in your mind and i think you know it, it's i really have appreciated that i've come from an entrepreneurial background and what i'm able to bring to the table but i also have learned a tremendous amount working in corporations so pretty yeah it's I imagine I've never worked for a company that size, but I imagine you end up becoming a salesperson because you have constantly got to get people on board with whatever it is you want to do versus the polar opposite when you're, I mean, I know there are, there are still times when I have to call someone I don't even work with just to explain some situation I'm in and the decision that I've made to make sure that I'm not totally nuts. Cause you end up, like you said, wearing a lot of hats operating sometimes like almost in a vacuum from a decision-making standpoint, there's nobody to tell you, no, you can't do that, you know, um, or no, you shouldn't do that. So. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, yeah, the, the beautiful thing. And also I think, you know, I, I found as an entrepreneur, you, know, you are, you're making a lot of decisions in a vacuum, you know, and you'd love to be able to call somebody up. And I think you do, I did find myself building relationships as an entrepreneur, you know, you connect with people and there are things that you find in common. I think it's just, it's a completely different mindset in a, you know, in a corporation where, you know, it's such a different playing field. Right. So, uh, but, um, and are you, are you born and raised in LA? I don't think I've ever even asked I, you that. I'm actually from the South, from North Carolina. So no I way. There, okay. And, yeah. And then I was living in Atlanta for about 10 years. Uh, I worked for Crawford communications, which was, you know, which is really kind of more evolved into Turner studios at this point. I, okay. I look back and see all of my peer group and they're all kind of have, yeah, actually I think Turner is now water media. So it's, you yes. know, it's, it's interesting. Which is about to merge with, uh, discovery. I don't know if merge is the correct verb, but something's happening with them and discovery. So yes. it'll be interesting to see what happens there. That's like, there's only going to be like three media companies left when this is all over. It's like I, crazy. Yeah. It's, it's amazing that how much has changed in just the last two years and how much, you know, these large companies have kind of absorbed. And even with an AT&T, like going through the life cycle of like, Hey, yeah, they merged with DirecTV. They acquired that. They acquired Warner, and now they're kind of, you know, hey, we're going to be a telecom now, and yeah. divest ourselves of, you know, the Hollywood world. So it's it's interesting stuff. So. 
did you so did you go to college and stuff in the south also before moving here or what ultimately brought you to the west coast uh i actually so i, I did go to school georgia state uh with a and i got a bfa degree in graphic design and visual communications but uh yeah i went to go work for a company called attic that uh in, in san francisco in the in the late 90s and uh, which was ultimately acquired by dinsu um after you know we kind of launched the the scion uh i think we got a big account with uh toyota scion which i don't think they even make those anymore but um i don't know yeah i remember yeah. the xp though yeah i remember the scion so uh so that brought me out to san francisco i was kind of there during the whole web boom and then the huge collapse you know 2002 mm -hmm. right like 2001 2002 uh and then that brought me down to la so um you know, I did a short stint of about a year and a half in San Diego and it was a little slow for me, but yeah. Oh, did you work at the one creative agency? I can't remember the name of there. Actually, I went, uh, I have two close friends and I started an animation company okay. in, in San Diego uh, nice. doing 3D animation. And, uh, you know, after about a year and a half, I mean, it, it, it's animation's a very different world than the design world. And ultimately yeah. I ended up back in, uh, you know, moving back to the design focus. And then yeah. LA, I've been here ever since in LA, so. That's right. When I met you, you were working on a, you were working on a music video, I still remember. It was a, it was a concert for uh, Madonna, right? Like mm -hmm. so we, we did the whole backdrop and environment and you saved us because the, uh, yeah. Everybody was pushing the limits of technology on that one. <laughs> It's, it's pretty crazy, you know, and it's yeah. amazing thinking about where we were in terms of render power now, then and where we are now and how easy it is to spin up render nodes and things. It's, you know, it's a completely different environment than it was. Yeah. I wonder if you would have told Tom and Jason then that on the internet, there would be unlimited compute and storage power. All you had to figure out how to do was get the media in there if we would have even believed that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like yeah, you know, I, I think... Um, you know, when you talk about COVID, you're talking about, you know, I, I don't know about you, like that NAB right before COVID hit was the first time I had really started to see the possibility for remote environments, like working on a, on a real level. I, it's amazing how that, you know, at least for me, and I don't know what your thoughts are, but like that it just started to move over that, that leap right before COVID hit and everybody was like, oh, wait, those tools you just saw, we, we need to leverage all of them. So, like right now. Yeah. Right there's now. no time. Yeah. 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 I thought it was cool how, I mean, it kind of pulled everything forward, forced people to be less risk averse, definitely uh, broke some things. But I think, I mean, that's just one of those interesting things, just like when they um, they had apparently been working on uh, a vaccine for COVID-19 like illnesses for some time. And then they were able to like accelerate the end. And I feel like there's some parallels there where it was, you know, there was all this, I mean, people have been trying to, I was talking with, maybe it was Jeff Rockland or engineer, but there was a guy at Disney animation like six years ago that, that had a big pitch deck together about how everything should be on Teradici, right? Oh, and nobody should have like a desktop machine. I can't remember the title of it. It was something along the lines of like the, the purely digital studio and he wanted to virtualize all the workstations. 
all the GPUs and everything. And it was like, you know, so wild, you know, at that time. And now it seems like people that are like, hey, we want to keep some of the hardware and stuff on premise are still using that mentality of like, but no human being is attached to any like specific piece of technology. So. Yeah, we're, we're looking at a very similar, you know, that now it's like, if you, even if we're, even when you're on premise, we're looking at leveraging the cloud environment. Mm-hmm. So it's a seamless environment, whether you're on, you know, on site or not. And I, you know, to your point about, I, I remember post-production three or four years ago, it's like, oh, you want to go fully remote? Like you're going to have people working remotely. Like it was just like, post is one of those things that just has to be on premise. Like people, yeah. that was their... And I, I think it was really like you were saying, I mean, you know, and I, I didn't know the thing about what you just mentioned about the vaccine. That's really interesting. I didn't know that they were, I, I mean, I knew that they had the technology, but I didn't know that they were working on such a, you know, kind of similar solution in terms of, you know, medically, but that, you know, it, it was one of those things I remember having conversations with people prior to the pandemic and you, they would be like, well, those are just what... Post is an immobile force. You're just going to have to keep it on mm-hmm. premise. You can get other things working remotely, but yeah. So it's yeah. It's well, there were some the whole like latency. There were there were some fundamental things that that made it a very difficult problem to solve. So I mean, people are smart and they were trying to solve it, but it was like even though I feel like the solution was only eighty percent there, when the alternative was you can't work at all. Kind of reminds me of like when they first had video on your phone. This is like pre-iPhone, the quality. Like I had a, like a BlackBerry for a long time, you know, and the quality of the video on there was so bad, but it was so cool that it was on your phone that you were willing to kind of lower your standards or lower your expectations. Right. Um, and that definitely seemed to be the case. I was interviewing uh, one guy. This is like, you know, early in like season one of the podcast. We were all like locked in our house and um, – he pointed out something I hadn't thought about, which he was like, hey, some of our bigger clients, you know, it's a creative services company. They don't allow us to work remotely no matter what. Just from a security perspective, it's strictly right. forbidden. And I was like, oh, you know, how did you work around that? And he said they adapted. They, We told them, like, we, we're unable to, we can't deliver anything unless you guys, um, you know, give us a little flexibility. And so there was... I think like the the overall market also seems to have like uh, softened a little bit. I think, yeah, I, I think the security teams. I, I think it was the the largest challenge, particularly for them. They definitely had a approach to how they were managing all of that world, and I think you know the larger challenge for them is you know how do we how do we keep secure in the cloud? You know how do yeah. we manage those processes? I think each company is maybe approached it a little differently, but I, I think for security it was. That was their largest concern is how do we keep the content safe? I think it was, and, and, and I think that was one of the challenges for, that was kind of holding it back before COVID was like, we don't know how to lock this down. So we're not letting you do it, right? Like it's just, you know, we can't protect our content. So uh, yeah. it'll, it'll be interesting. I, th- I think, you know, the next couple of years about how the tools kind of evolve from this point. Mm-hmm. Um, there still is that, you know, it, it I, I don't know in your mind, has it got, you know, it's not like there was a huge leap in security and being able to lock all of that stuff down. I think that it's, you know, but I think now they're going to really think about how to kind of manage that process. Um, I think also, you know, security audits have become a standard thing. Like let's yes. look at who we're talking to now because, you know, we are sharing materials in the cloud. So let's just make sure that once it moves over to you, that your environment, you know, um, is secure as secure as our environment so that we feel like it's apples to apples. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think the, you know, fortunately the whole, I don't like to throw these terms around because they get overused a little bit, but the whole like machine learning, artificial intelligence, and also the, a lot of security companies now, uh, you know, the idea is that every security incident that happens everywhere updates, you know, the artificial intelligence about how to protect from attacks. So the sort of like, because everyone is in the cloud and hopefully everyone's willing to share information about potential attacks, you know, that the response time can be faster. Um, and to some degree, you know, can be automated. Now that always creates another attack surface in and of itself, right? It's always right. good to have someone looking at that. But yeah, I think the I think the bigger challenges will be your data is not really actually available everywhere because your physical proximity to the data, like the cloud is not like actually like a bag of magic beans. It's actually is computers somewhere. And so now that we've kind of opened up and I like this, like, now that business operations are like, okay, I've decided we can keep our data in the cloud, or at least that we don't need to have it in our data center that we own. So, so now it's available everywhere, right? And then, of course, now all us technical types are like, well, we kind of told you that before, but actually it depends on you know where you are because there's these fiber optic cables on the floor of the ocean. And they're like, no, no, it's in the cloud. And it's like, well, it's not actually in like the actual <laughs> cloud, you know? Um, so it's exciting because I think for the longest time, tech was pushing business operations to open their mind and think differently and, you know, allow, kind of let it go, right? The physical yes. infrastructure. And now, that, like a lot of things, the tides have turned. And now business operations, I think, has a really exciting opportunity over the next 10 years to say, well, you told me it was available anywhere and that I had unlimited capacity and I could scale up and scale down whenever I wanted. And so now it's time for us technical types to try to deliver on that to the best of our ability. So we'll find out what are the limits of that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for that, too. I think it's also, you know, I, I think it's. It, it runs the gambit too, right? It's not just for production, but it is also how we interrelate. We all thought that if you look at like Zoom and you know, video conferencing, all of that is going to, I think, be driven by this new remote environment, right? Like you're gonna see, you know, we're looking for better collaboration tools. We're having to learn differently about how we onboard our employees, how we make sure that they're supported properly that they can understand the processes because none of that stuff is like physically tangible for them anymore. They need to yeah. kind of, you know, you need to be able to be better at how you communicate, how you effectively collaborate. And I, I think I'm very excited to see what that next generation of tool set is, right? Like, cause it's like, you know, you want to be able to have whiteboard sessions where you're sitting there and everybody's just easy. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, you, and, and I know it's, it's not there yet, but you'll, I, you're starting to see it. And I think it's also, you start seeing how virtual collaborations, what, what people are craving and it'll be interesting to see what that new world starts to look like. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that was a that was a tough corner for me to turn because I am very much a walk down the hallway and find the person you're working with and just have like a three minute chat with them. So there's kind of a virtual version of that. It's not quite the same. So I, I agree that as the tech improves there and the business processes improve there, that's something I'm really thirsty for just because uh, that that was a big adjustment. I mean, I would whatever. It's been a couple of years. I think I'm I'm used to it at this point, but. Um, yeah, and I, I think that's for all of us, right? Like we've all acclimated it to a bit. I, you know, I, I think, um, I don't know about you, like every time I go back in the office now, it's a complete, like my go-to is the virtual environments. It's not, mm -hmm. you know, like, and, and the way that people have changed their, 
their day and the way that they manage all of that is, you know, it has shifted a lot because now, you know, meetings start exactly on the minute, right? Like it's like, yeah, they start on time, huh? Yeah. Yeah, you, that's true. I didn't know, think that whole that. like, hey, they're still walking down the hallway. Like none yeah, of that happens that's anymore. It's not happening. So, yeah. yeah. I, I've gotten better about this, but uh, I, that enabled me to schedule me. I'm all about trying to get as much work done during the workday as possible. And I really try to not work after working, you know, if there's some pressing need, but if it's just the normal, you know, uh, volume of work. But I did the thing where I would schedule meetings back to back, which to your point, when you're in the office and everyone can see you're leaving one meeting and going to another, you could say something like, I'm going to run to the restroom or I'm going to get a coffee. Give me a second. When it's virtual. So I had days where I'd have like four meetings in a row with no break. And I'm like, oh, that's not actually healthy at all. Right, because you also can't say, "Oh, I have to get in my car and drive to another meeting." Therefore, <laughs> right. we need to end. Like everybody knows that's not the case, and of course, at least at DZ Solutions, everyone can see my calendar, so they know I'm just going into another virtual conference room. You know, and and, and that's true in corporations, right? Like, yeah, you know, we're all like you literally pulling up, looking for blocks in people's time just to fill in, it. and yeah. it becomes this thing of like. If I, I realize if I leave an open space, somebody's going to nap. Going to take know, it. Like, yeah. oh, it's, you know, and I, I think it is, it's learning how to manage your schedule completely differently that, you know, thinking about how to kind of, I, I, that's the real learning curve for me right now is how do I carve out the time to get the tasks done that I need? You know, and I, I think mm-hmm. within the culture or uh, at least within our company, we're, you know, we're still trying to figure that out. We're, we're looking at ways to kind of group meetings and think about things so that the teams feel like they can take the time to kind of do, respond to emails and just build decks and do stuff like that. It's, it's, a, it's a different world um, in terms of that. And I, I think you know, the companies are still trying to get their heads wrangled around that and how to kind of influence. Because the other thing, I, I, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but like it also, we, we became far more productive. I mean, I, I think companies are seeing that like, hey, if I got my people stuck to a computer for 10 hours a day and that's mm-hmm. all they have to do, they start ramping up in terms of work. There's an efficiency there. But at the same time, how do you kind of carve out them, you know, ensure that they're making the right balance choices so that they stay productive? Um, yeah. yeah. I find that you can obtain more focus. So specific example, one of the things that we do is we assess environments and, and generate reports, right? So whenever you're doing something like that, the, the, the most expensive use of your time is someone interrupting you because you have to stop what you're doing, change your mindset, right? Listen, you know, like have some empathy with because probably if someone's interrupting you, it's something important, right? You got to think about it. You got to maybe go back and forth a little bit. So even just a five minute question becomes a 40 minute expense of your time because then you got to go back to what you're doing. So the great thing about the virtual environment is if I tell somebody, hey, you know, let's, I really want you to stay focused, right? Please don't allow any interruptions. It's much easier for them to enforce that boundary because they can pretty much just like not respond to any Slack messages, et cetera, et cetera. The thing I struggle with the most. I'm actually interested in what you think about this based on the way both, you know, up and down the org chart. So both with your staff and back to that thing about like selling inside big corporations. I find inspiration is very difficult because, you know, I'm like a high energy, passionate dude. I'm a little off color. I'm a little unpredictable. And that's kind of how I get people excited and inspire them to do things. Um, that is not as easy to do in the little chat box, you know, that's a little WebEx box. It's a lot easier to do when everybody's in the same room. So I've had to learn that uh, the content that I'm delivering, whatever the 
meeting content is has to be as compelling as the delivery. I don't know if that makes sense, but do you know what I mean? It's like more focus, focus is easier. Inspiration is harder. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I, I think um, that finding, like, I, I guess that kind of goes back to my collaboration point. Like I think, you know, we're finding it, it's sometimes we just have meetings where we're, you know, we are chit chatting. Like there has to be that human element because I think that that's, that is, it's part of where you pull inspiration because you have dialogue and you have conversations. Um, I think you need to be able to make space for that. And I, yeah, I think in the beginning where it's like every meeting has to be really focused and we really have right. to kind of like come with an agenda and really do these things. And I, I think there's that, but you have to have the other balance where you kind of give people carve out to people some space to like be able to paddle the ball around, right? Like you've got to be able to play things back and forth. So uh, I don't know if that completely aligns with what you're, no, yeah. that's um alex jasperson our sales manager is good at just creating that time at the beginning of the meeting um which i think helps a lot because to, to your point normally which i would be like culturally right i'm like well we'll have the chit chat in the hallway like it's time for a meeting you know yeah and then at the end i mean once the important content of the meeting i mean sometimes i have to be thrown out of my own meeting because then all i want to do is chit chat but whenever there's like <laughs> you know business to conduct right i'm like well, let's right. get down to it um yeah but that is that is true because again it's like if you're if you're all ambling into a conference room some of you will be there not everybody else is there somebody's grabbing something to drink so there's that kind of soft you know like gentle Sorry. grade of an on-ramp as opposed to uh you know just getting dropped into the heart of it so so you know me i'm like an in-person office culture person i don't know if that'll ever change i've adapted because we all have work to do and i'm making the best of it and i'm doing a lot better with that than it was a couple of years ago what i am truly excited for and I don't know how many people think about this, but back in the day, remember, like this had to happen to you, especially when you're a creative. You've got several anchors, like really important people in this meeting. And then one guy's dialed in and it just sucks, right? There's always this big delay. He's like coming out of the conference room phone. Everyone else is there in person. And, you know, we never really solved for that guy. What we always solved for was how can we get everyone to the meeting? So right. that's off the table. That even if that's hypothetically possible in the future, I don't think that's market because there's always going to be important folks that are like, I'm working virtually at this time. Yeah. So the thing I'm most excited about that is going to be, I think, one of the hardest things to execute on is like, Jason, to your point, I mean, we've taken the virtual meeting to a whole new level and that's naturally evolving in the right direction because it has to, the market requires it. And then, you know, we all know how to do in-person meetings because um, we've been doing it forever. But I'm excited about if half the people are there and half the people are spread out all over the place, can we make that experience as, I don't know what the word is, you know, cohesive, homogenous, you know, seamless as possible? Because one of the guys that we work with, who's like a really, really high level engineer is in Las Vegas. And, you know, he's happy to come meet with me whenever I want. But the more we can make that experience, like having him here, the better it is for him and his family. And the more, like, for example, for us, it's, it's technical talent, right? And we can start to leverage those resources outside our local market. So I imagine every company being able to expand their geographic talent pool is like pretty exciting. And I, I think also part of that is, you know, so many companies, right? They have they have people in three or four different cities. So there's always going to be the challenge of like, okay, we're having the meeting here, but there's these two other cities that we want to pull in. And especially I think 
particularly for entertainment tech, where it's such a push for global production. Yeah, we're mm -hmm. looking at how do we collaborate with all of these other remote offices or you know other other spaces throughout the world. So and trying to get everybody aligned. So I, I think solving the, for that problem of how do we make sure that we can, uh, regardless of how where people are on premise, that you know they also have the ability to be able to chime those people in and ensure that they're they get an equivalent collaboration. You know, yeah, that they can they can they can speak as you know as clearly and accurately and be able to communicate as effectively as if they were sitting in the room. So yeah, and uh, yeah, we're gonna have to do better than Cisco telepresence. Not that that's not cool. That was that thing where you have half of a conference room table and the oh, other yeah. half is somewhere else, and there's yes. like all those cameras, and it's like a million bucks. Not not that that wasn't cool, but like we've got to come out with like a like a home office version of that version of that because yeah, we can't I mean, ship I, all our employees a, and know, I, I think yeah time. you when you look at like what vr i mean vr is clearly looking at solutions for that right like they're yeah and i i think it's going to be interesting we'll see what the technology evolutions are right like it's one thing when you're putting these massive goggles on your face but if you're yeah. you know if it's slimmed down to a pair of glasses it becomes a completely different experience right and I you're right and that probably is a use of that tech because I, I always, most of the VR, AR stuff I see seems to have to do with like entertaining people. So things like video games and uh, media content. But you're right. There's suddenly a whole new application for that. That yes. would be help companies be more efficient, which means there would be a big market for it. Yeah. And, and I don't know what you've seen of that technology, but I'm pretty excited about it because things that you couldn't do in a physical space, you can do there, right? Like you can open up 10 different browsers in a virtual space. Yeah, mm -hmm. and and show people that world, or bring in three D models into that, and and yes. work with them in real time, and that's something you can't physically do in a you know physical space. So I, mm -hmm. I, I think um, I think it's really early days for that stuff, but like even seeing how you know the fact that that's in motion, that those there are people out there really trying to think through those challenges, you know where. It's like like your point about video, right? Like in the early night, everybody's talking about broadband. You know, broadband yeah. is going to be like the future. You're going to be able to watch video on your computers, and it just it never worked as well as you thought it would. But now yeah. it's like a diamond, right? Like it's like we our whole world has shifted to that environment, and I think it'll be interesting to see where we are in ten or fifteen years because of this. You know, in, in terms of those type of so yeah because you cut to 20 years later and i was out in the garage watching netflix and netflix i literally got a message from netflix that said hey it looks like you bought a 4k tv did you want to watch this in 4k <laughs> and i was right. like yeah man thanks netflix and they were like well that's not free so just click here to pay the extra oh, four bucks a month or whatever but yeah. but the fact that i mean i would never have believed that there would be that my TV would also be a computer that also had access to all this content that looked just as good as the other TV. And you're right. I feel like that took a really long time to turn the corner, but once it did, it was like, you know, now the stuff is off the chain and that's probably the same thing with uh, exactly. the whole VR AR thing. I also think with VR AR, it's, I, I agree with you 100%, Jason, that right now there's a hardware problem and, and we have to get that. Because the one thing that will, in this like software-driven universe that we live in now, the one thing people have really kind of limited patience for is like hardware that's not, you know, as small and fast as possible. And, and I mean, you, you think about like where we were with NTSC monitors, right? Like 20, you know, it's like <laughs> the, the things were such a beast to lift or air like, yeah. yeah. Um, and I... And, 
and now you know there there is then is an LED screen, right? So you, yeah. you know it'll get there. And I I, I think it's yeah you know, I, I tend to look at video a lot because I I came up in that world, but I remember like you know going from NTSC to high def, and you're like, how are we going to do it? The resolutions are so massive. So you know, big. Is going to push? Yeah, you know, and then when it moved to 4k, it was the same thing, but I feel like we moved a little faster through that transition than the last one. Cause we learned. And I, yeah. I think that's, it's, it's a similar thing for the technologies that we're kind of evolving now. Right. Like it's, yeah. it's, I guess one of the things all these companies are working on is uh, that you'd be wearing something and it'll overlay the real world with information. You know, I went on a, a vacation to Japan. I had a guide for part of the time for like a couple days. And that experience was so much different than not having a guide. And so if that could be virtualized and you could at a moment's notice decide, yes, I want the guide right now, but not later. And all of that was, you know, inside a pair of glasses, that would be like super incredible. So let me ask you this, um, other than all the stuff we've talked about, what in the technology world are you, like, what are you pumped about right now? Are you like a crypto guy? Are you a, uh, what do you call it, self-driving car person? Or what are you most excited about? Well, obviously I'm very excited about the VR stuff, right? Like I think that's, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think that, uh, I think because I have friends and colleagues that are are working in that space and I'm kind of excited to see. and and, And I think coming back to the beginning, right? Like it's like, I've become far more operationally minded, right? Like, and, and being able to build, I really believe the best thing that you could do for your people is to give them amazing tools because, you know, that gets them the most excited because they're like, hey, you just made my life 100% easier, right? Because I have all the bells and whistles to do everything I need to. Um, and, you know, I know it's kind of an endless battle and challenge, but I, you know, that's, that's the thing that I, I think probably gives the the most joy is probably seeing that for people, right? Like they're like, Hey, I've got it. I got, you know, I'm going to be able to go to work today. I, I have kind of everything I need to get those things done. And I, I, I think, you know, when you look, look at you're bringing up self-driving cars and, and things of those nature, I, I think those, you know, it's interesting with the car thing, right? Because we have less place, you know, we're doing a far, we don't have the commute so much anymore. Like all yeah. of that push to have a self-driving car, it's like less exciting for me because I do sure. far less driving, you know, it's, but um, I mean, I, and, and that may shift. I mean, I, I think as a culture, you, we may be in a very different place two or three years from now where people are like, you know, I was remote for years. Now right. I, really I want to get out there as much as I can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think the, you know, in terms of, uh, currency and crypto, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see where we end up with all of that. I mean, it's like, there's such a struggle and, and I, th- I think there are certain people that truly understand it. And then there's a lot of, you know, it, it, it's kind of like any technology, like we even look at Facebook, right? Like it's like for people who are first starting to use that, you know, that, that's that application. And now it's like my mother uses it. You know, it's ubiquitous. I, yeah. Right. Like it's just a completely different shit. You talk to my mother about cryptocurrency and she doesn't even know what you're, I mean, it's like to even start to break that down is challenging. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. What, what about you? Is there one thing that you kind of feel is, yeah. I, um, I don't know the crypto thing I'm interested in just because I put a few bucks in there and I am interested in specifically can send you some podcasts on this, but you know, you hear people talk about NFTs and cryptocurrency and it, and all of that is fine. I do think there's a lot of hype there. 
you know, again, yeah. don't ever ask me for investment advice. It's <laughs> the only, the only good investment I've ever made is myself. And that's been a great investment. But when I invest in other people or other companies, I usually pick the wrong companies. So just full disclosure, but, um, the ability to use the blockchain, which is what cryptocurrency is built on and the vehicle that is nfts and i'm not talking about 21 million dollar jpegs but the idea of a constantly evolving like non-corruptible complex ownership structure i mean the amount of time and lawyers and accountants that wouldn't be needed to have a complex owner ownership structure for some sort of actual physical asset Right. Cause I don't know if I'm in on the whole digital real estate. You know, we'll see. It seems like the people that are into digital real estate are the people that are selling it. Yeah. So, and I don't have any to sell. So for now, I'm not interested in it. Maybe that'll change. But for right now, it seems like owning it wouldn't bring me much joy and selling it would bring me much money. But I actually don't know how to get it in order to sell it. But you look at things like uh, the idea of a consortium of individuals that own a piece of fine art, right? I mean, the way that you can jump in and out of your ownership, um, or there was a great analogy about, um, you know, who owns the software that's being developed when people are writing lines of code. So companies that develop software often, you know, they pay a salary and then they'll bonus their employees based on how many lines of code that they wrote. Um, then later, it became apparent, well, some people's code is better than others. So is it really how many lines of code they wrote or is it how many they committed that ended up in the final release of the code, right? Because if somebody writes 100 lines of code and you only keep three and somebody writes 20 and you keep 17, I mean, again, I'm not a software developer, but hypothetically, the person who more lines of code were committed probably has contributed a little bit more to the final product. So should they be paid a little bit more? Assuming they should. But all of that right now is like somebody has to like run scripts and then that has to go through like a compensation plan, which has to be reviewed. And imagine if all of that was like completely automated. And let's say that you hire me as a new developer, right? You could take that whole algorithm, but then say, well, Tom's only got one year in instead of five years in. So we just want to give him 80% of what that other person is getting. All of that can be automated and there's no way to commit fraud because of the whole distributed blockchain thing. Wow, I got way down a rabbit hole there. I'm really sorry. I like barely understand it myself, which is why um, I have to use so many words to explain it. But that kind of stuff, I think, is super, super exciting. And um, I want to know what comes after the electric car. That's like the other thing I'm mo most excited about. You know, I love to drive. I mean, me and you both love cars. We could have a whole podcast about that. Uh, but I just uh, I was talking with Jeff about this last night. But like, what is going to be next? Now that we've opened our minds to, hey, anything can power a car. It doesn't have to be fossil fuels. Like, what are we really going to, like, will we end up, like, is our electric cars the Blackberry? Yeah. Like, what's the iPhone going to be? You know, right. If you use the phone analogy. So that's, that's what I'm excited about. Tell me a little bit about the job that you're doing now. I know we're almost out of time, but we uh, we never even got to the beginning, did we? Because we were having sure. so much fun. Uh, so I, you know, uh, essentially I am... Uh, responsible for marketing and creative operations. So what that means is that when, particularly in an entertainment company, when you go produce this you know, piece of content, you have all of these different teams. You have teams that promote the, you know, that build the strategies and development for, you know, trailer rollout, posters, key art, things of that nature. And then you have um, other teams that are focused on social media and, and things that, you know, so all of these teams are, 
having to come together to build a you know build a strategy, ultimately roll out these assets, and uh, you know I think before it was like okay, you guys have to do all of it, right? Like you have to figure out what you're doing, what you're going to create, and then project manage it all the way through to fruition um, and you know, make sure all of those things work. And I, I think part of the uh, evolution has been, particularly in the last few years, it's like, wait, okay, those are two different jobs. You know, you, if you're managing the process of the logistics of all of that, that's one thing. Coming up with a strategy is challenging enough on its own. So let those teams focus on that. Really think about that. Um, and then there are the creative teams that actually have to go through, whether it's an external agency or an internal team that has to go make those things that those people came up with you know, in order to execute on those strategies. So really uh, a lot of what, um, and, and particularly at Stars, my team didn't exist a year ago. Like they, okay. you know, marketing creative operations is a very new concept for them. Um, and so, you know, it started off with one person. Now it's, yeah, there's about 12, uh, 12 of us, but we're really getting into kind of build frameworks so that the teams have kind of a clear understanding. It's a different world when you're executing for globally, when you're thinking at, you have to think about those things and all of those timelines start to compress what, you know, what your space is. So we, my team really thinks about how to ensure that the teams have as much space to develop each, each component of that from its initial strategy, once it's greenlit, all the way through to all of the final marketing assets that have to deliver someplace. And so um, that's what I'm doing now. And I, I, it's great for me because it's, it's an evolution. Like when I was at at t it was really focused on creative services and just that component. But now I'm I'm getting this opportunity to kind of focus on the whole the whole story. So once somebody says, "Hey, this is going to be our product," all the way through to it it landing and then ensuring we look at how we did um, mm-hmm. and making sure that's all wrapped up in a nice bow, so that when we pick it up again, it's easy to pick up and uh, start the ball rolling. So. That's, that's what I'm... Well, that sounds cool. Yeah, sorry I didn't ask you that an hour ago, but we just were <laughs> off, and, off and running, you know? Um, hey, well, we are about out of time. I really, again, really appreciate you doing this. Um, and what uh, what's going on? You got a three-day weekend. You got big plans or what's going on this weekend? I think, yeah, I'm, I'm happy. You know, I've become quite a bit of a homebody, so having three days off you know, and being able to kind of relax and do stuff around the house, um, I think is good for me, you know, like you, like, you know, I've definitely picked up cooking. You know, I know you and I, like, it's like, that's a whole, yeah, you start to kind of think about the world very differently when you're spending so much time at home, but yeah, yeah, yeah so. Yeah, I've gone from probably, I don't know what, 75% eating at restaurants to probably half that at this point, so. Because, um, of course, when you are cooking at home frequently and you're not uh, at the office all the time, at least, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but I have a pretty good foundation of all the staples. So now if I want to make something, I usually only have to go pick up a few things. So. Yeah, that's definitely where I'm getting. And I, I think all of like you, like I spent so much time at restaurants and now you're like, oh, I, I want to know how to make that. Right. Like, it's yeah. like, I know, you know, because I want that quality. It's like, how do I achieve that quality? So it becomes a thing. But. Yeah, one uh, one botched recipe at a time. That's how <laughs> I think that's how we achieve it, right? Exactly. So, 
Well, thank you, Tom, very much for having me. No, it was great. So I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Thanks again for joining this week's episode of Fresh Tech Fridays. I'm your host, Tom Gilsonen. I want to thank Jason Johnson for composing our theme music, RSPE, and especially Russ for some help with engineering and equipment for the podcast. Molly Crone for helping me make this all possible and the undisputed podcast engineering champion, the mighty Jeff Rockland, engineering from afar in the South Bay. If you want to learn more about Jeff and all the different projects that he's working on, you can hit him on the web at jrocksgarage.com, J-R-O-C-K-S garage.com. So make sure to check that out. Thanks again and look forward to seeing you next time.